Welcome back to Burgundy Blogcast on this Saturday night, December 22nd, 2018. We are in week 16 of the NFL season, and a few hours ago, the Redskins, after having fought pretty hard and pretty tough, did eventually succumb to the Tennessee Titans in Nashville by a final score of 25-16, to 16. although I think we would probably all agree that that final score, uh, the pick six, uh, returned um, off of Josh Johnson's last-second uh, desperation heave was kind of bogus, and really, for all intents and purposes, the Redskins lost this game by just a field goal. Uh, you know, for whatever it's worth. Of course, we all know that close only counts in horseshoes and hand grenades, but this was a hotly contested game and a very important game because the loss dropped the Redskins to 7-8 and eight and now practically, if not mathematically, uh, ends their season. Which, I acknowledge, sounds almost a little absurd to say, again, because we have already said that very thing about these Redskins at least two, maybe three times previously this season. But it's been that kind of year. After what I think we can all agree was a misleadingly good start, uh, the Redskins have been on a long, slow, painful death march to where we are now. Perhaps some improbable circumstances will again conspire to make us think eight days from now, that this season is indeed somehow still viable. But let's face it, it is not. It is now definitively not. Soon there will be nothing left to do, but look forward to 2019 and speculate as to what changes the team will implement in their efforts to finally get over that hump. But for now, I, I think that there are legitimately enough uh, juicy and interesting details about this game that happened today that it's worth some discussion. So that's why I'm here. Let's do it. Let's have at it. Um, Burgundy Blogcast, of course, is the official podcast of Burgundy Blog, Redskins Research for Fans of the Truth. I hope you will check out my fellow um, local pro sports podcasts on bluewirepods.com. And of course, I also hope that you are following at Burgundy Blog to uh, engage me on any topics discussed during this episode or any other Redskins related topics. Redskins, of course, were big underdogs in this game, 11 or 11 and a half point underdogs uh, by most books. That's because they were on the road playing a pretty good team with a winning record and on a winning streak with a good defense, a good coaching staff, and a strong running game, even if not an especially high-powered offense overall. The Redskins, on the other hand, although of course coming off a win, have been absolutely decimated by injuries for a month and a half, primarily on offense having basically no recognizable pass catchers remaining, and also playing interior offensive linemen who really don't belong in the NFL. And they've been riddled with controversy and infighting, and publicly at that, really since the end of October. So that's how you arrive at a big spread like this. And I don't think really anybody was giving the Redskins a, a, a high chance or probability of winning this game. I certainly wasn't. I didn't expect them to win. I did think they would have a good chance of covering. But a couple of things I think that, that kept hope just ever so slightly alive were, number one, the fact that these Redskins under Jay Gruden, though rarely, if ever, excellent, have on many occasions won quasi-important games despite being strongly expected to lose. And on top of that, they've had here recently, at least for about six quarters of game time, this new spark and maybe swagger carried by fourth-string QB Josh Johnson. 
who I think is just better than his reputation. So maybe it was not a foregone conclusion that they would lose, but it was certainly a likelihood. And lose they did. But you know what? This game was really good. This was a good football game that was interesting from start to finish. The outcome was in doubt until the very end. And I was not disgusted with the Redskins at any point tonight, including when they faltered at the end. And that, sadly, is relatively significant praise for this team, all things considered. I thought they came out ready to play. I thought they continued with the intensity through four quarters. Obviously, they weren't great. They made a lot of mistakes. The tackling still was suspect. And you can only do so much celebrating about scoring 16 points. But they seemed well-prepared. I thought a number of players uh, exceeded expectations. And they gave it the old college try, legitimately. And despite being severely handicapped by those aforementioned injuries, the Redskins put forth a respectable performance today. And even though it was a loss... I don't consider this like some huge black mark against Jay Gruden or his staff. I can think of three specific, really pretty huge plays that that, uh, went against the Redskins in the fourth quarter of this game, each one of which really negatively impacted their chance of coming out on top. I don't really intend to focus on the negative in this podcast, so maybe it's weird to start with them, but they're fresh in my mind because they happened at the end and they just were really important. One was Michael Floyd's drop of a pretty good pass by Josh Johnson um, down there inside the 10-yard line on their final scoring drive, which culminated in a a field goal. I think a touchdown there definitely could have put that thing out of reach. One was that late play where uh, HaHa Clinton Dix had a game-changing interception really just whiz right through his outstretched hands. That would have significantly changed the narrative and the outcome, I think. And then definitely the other was... The Fabian Moreau pass interference, or actually, I guess, defensive holding penalty, which happened on a third down uh, on a play that, that otherwise would have been an incomplete pass, and it extended that last Titans drive, which turned into the game-winning touchdown. By the way, I thought that call was highly questionable. I'm going to come back to that specific play later because DJ Swearinger said some things after the game about that play and about the defensive play calling in general in the fourth quarter that I think are important to the overall landscape of this team moving forward. But anyway, three individual plays, and I mean, you know, NFL games are like this. There's always a handful of key plays, any one of which could could have uh, altered or completely flipped the result. But if Michael Floyd could have held on to that pass, or if Ha Ha had somehow come through with a big play, even though, let's face it, he seems pretty much allergic to those, or if Moreau just hadn't gotten a few fingers full of jersey on that one pass defense, this uh, podcast episode might be a lot more about a Cinderella story than it is about a postmortem. But I guess that's just the way the cookie crumbles. Man, I really hate that uh, the end of that game featured the two interceptions by Johnson. I mean, the last one didn't really matter, but of course the first one was the one big mistake that he had been avoiding through almost four quarters that he couldn't afford to make. And I I hate for him and for the team that that bad interception, which did definitely look like it was primarily his fault. I mean, he really sailed one over Docs. And there's some thought. I I look back at at the play, and it does kind of seem like maybe Doxson, I don't know, stopped running the route. I heard afterwards Gruden said something like, Johnson was reading the wrong half of the field, whatever that means, and that Doxson just didn't expect to be a target on that play. I don't really love hearing that, to be honest with you. That doesn't make a ton of sense to me, but whatever. Johnson deserved that pick, and it it was a bad play, but I wish that play would not overshadow what prior to that had been a really inspiring performance. Look, I get it. Even then, you know, he had, I I still, I think he finished with less than 200 yards combined passing and running. So it's not like he was going to be FedEx Air Player of the Week or something. I get it. I'm not saying he was like 
lights out. But man, he just played tough. He played smart for the most part. He made plays with his arm. He made plays with his legs. He got everybody involved, even though everybody really includes a bunch of nobodies. Um, Josh Johnson's early pass to Crowder was nice. His touchdown pass to Floyd was really nice. He just was so composed in this game. And then, yeah, he kind of crashed back down to earth. But I'm a huge fan of the way he plays. I like his size. I like his arm strength. I like his speed. I think he's coordinated. He always just seems generally pretty in, in control, you know, um, as opposed to someone like, a, say, RG3, who had amazing physical abilities, but always kind of seemed like out of control on the field. Maybe not always, but come on, you remember how he looked. I mean, every time he got hit, you just thought he was going to basically explode. Josh Johnson, on the other hand, even though he's slender, he's an athlete, and he just, he has really good balance. He just does things in a way that looks good. I'm sorry. I mean, that's just the bottom line for me. I like watching him play. He gives his teammates uh, a good chance at individual success on any given play. He doesn't always make the right read. He doesn't always make the perfect pass, but a lot of times he does make the perfect pass. I'm seeing him hit guys in stride. I'm seeing him uh, lead receivers to open space. I'm seeing him pick up first downs with his legs, both called runs and scrambles. I just really liked what he did against a good defense until those final mistakes. The Redskins, as usual, had a ton of penalties in this game, especially on offense, primarily because they keep shuffling in all these complete randars on offensive line. But can we talk for a minute about how they got backed up to their own one-yard line on uh, second and 27, and then not only converted it, but scored a touchdown. And Johnson got some help on that drive, especially from Adrian Peterson, who we're definitely going to come back to because he was awesome. But damn, Josh Johnson did most of that drive himself. And I think the number one thing I love about him is that when the Redskins get into second or third and ridiculously prohibitively long, as tends to happen to them because they have so many negative runs and so many penalties, with Josh Johnson, unlike with previous previous quarterbacks, including, I'm sorry to say, Alex Smith, the Redskins have a chance of getting out of jail. He can pick up yards himself or he can extend plays until covered receivers come uncovered. I don't know how they finished, but at one point the Redskins were like 7 out of 11 on third downs on offense. That was unfamiliar territory. I just love that with Josh Johnson, a, a holding on first down does not mean that the drive is doomed. Anyway, that long 90-plus yard touchdown drive was just absolutely the drive of the year, and I think it it completely proved that Josh Johnson has a place in the NFL. I don't know that it necessarily is as a starting quarterback, and it may not even be as a Redskin, but come on. Cody Kessler is starting games in this league. Blaine Gabbert is finishing games in this league. Josh Johnson belongs in this league. Peterson, of course, um, went well over 100 yards in this game and eclipsed the 1,000-yard mark for the season. More importantly, he just looked awesome. It did not all come as it has, you know, sometimes in in previous games, all all on the back of like an 80- or 90-yard run. It was like 117 yards or whatever on 26 solid carries for an average of 4.6 a pop. He looked strong, he looked fast, he looked flexible and agile. He got way up over the line of scrimmage to convert a third and one. He honestly looked as good in this game as he has, I think, in any game all season, which is unbelievable for it to be week 16 and for him to be 33. The whole thing was like, when will the wheels fall off? Because we obviously know that they will, right? Well, they didn't. They never did. He still got that gas in the tank. It's crazy. There was a period of four or five games there in the middle of the season where it looked like he was slowing down. But, you know, right now, as I sit here tonight, I'm, I'm buying for sure that a lot of that was injury because he had a serious shoulder injury after dislocation, and I think also a non-trivial knee injury that got really minimized. And I think he was really just beat up during that period where he had become less effective. Now, on top of that, I mean, 
as if he didn't already have a reason. Well, the reason, a huge reason that his effectiveness diminished was because he lost his guards. And Trent Williams has been hurt. And Morgan Moses has been hurt. Moses is always hurt. He lost almost his whole line. And yeah, he, he did disappear in a few games. But what Adrian Peterson has done this year is unbelievable. And I was super impressed with the way he looked and moved tonight. Until further notice, I will not expect a mediocre season out of Adrian Peterson until he actually has one. So yeah, I'd like him on the team next year. I'd like him to be a Redskin. I hope he'll be comfortable like splitting time with Darius Geis. First of all, like let's let's hope that Geis comes back 100%, but that's not a guarantee. You may find yourself relying on Peterson for RB1-type contributions even in 2019. But if he's down with that, I'm down with that. This guy's an alien. I want to come back to Josh Johnson for just a second and defend or maybe clarify something I wrote on Twitter that seemed kind of polarizing. I think I wrote it in the third quarter, and specifically I said, sample size be damned, Josh Johnson is what I hoped Alex Smith would be. Now, here I am acknowledging that, yeah, you can't really just throw away sample size. I get it. It's been two games, two and a half games. And yeah, as we said, he did make a big killer mistake at the end, which kind of mattered. But what I meant is that Josh, at that point, had been doing a lot of things that Alex was doing well, including protecting the football and leading long, time-consuming drives and also making some things happen with his mobility. Except, if I'm being honest, I think he does. He's he has been doing some of those things even better than Alex did, at least for the first, you know, nine and a half games that, that he was able to play before breaking his leg. Um, he's not just mobile, he's more mobile. And his arm is stronger. And he seems to me every bit as confidence-inspiring to his teammates as Alex does. And beyond that, most importantly, as I've already harped on, this ability to get out of terrible down and distance and get back on track is something that no Redskins quarterback has really flashed all year. But I think what I definitely did leave out of that tweet and what what uh, what I got called out on by several people appropriately and fairly is that Josh is running a little bit different offense than Alex was and and he's running I think more even though a lot of his playmakers have since gone on IR. He's getting more of the play calls that I thought Jay should have been calling for Alex all along, specifically moving the pocket. You've heard me say this if you've listened previously ever or read my tweets what i expected jay to do when alex came from the chiefs was roll him and boot him out way more than he has or than he did and now suddenly he's actually doing it for josh johnson i think he's probably doing a lot of it out of necessity because you know brandon sheriff's not there anymore but i really think you know i mean the redskins were winning when alex was upright they they were up uh, you know they were six and three but come on we all knew that the offense was like hanging on by a thread and kind of getting lucky sometimes I think if Jay had been moving Alex's pocket like he's moving Josh's pocket, they would have been scoring more points. They might have been 7-2. and two. Anyway, I just wanted to circle back and say, no, I'm not definitively declaring, jo- declaring Josh Johnson as a better player than Alex Smith. But they do have, you know, a number of similar strengths. And I think if you're honest with yourself, you might reach the conclusion that if there was some kind of a blind taste test for quarterbacks and you didn't know what their names were or what their contracts looked like, but you simply were exposed to like a representative sample of 20 or 25 plays each, you are kidding yourself if you think that it would look obvious on those cut-ups in juxtaposition that one of them is worth a hundred-plus million-dollar contract and the other was unemployed until December. The Redskins' defense did a pretty good job in this game of controlling Derrick Henry, who had been just on a ridiculous heater. I think he still got up to over 80 yards total, and of course of course, he scored that early touchdown, but they certainly didn't let him take over the game. 
Most of that was thanks to the defensive line doing a great job early on, Allen and Payne being really good as we've grown accustomed to seeing. And I think the linebackers, uh, Foster, Hamilton, and Brown all doing a pretty good job today. But ultimately, the biggest flaw on defense was tackling, or lack thereof, and especially in the secondary, which is not a new thing. And to be more specific, I think HaHa Clinton Dix was below average again. Swearinger was average at best and had a, a really poor attempt at an open field tackle on a third down play on Dion Lewis, which he turned into an 18-yard gain and a conversion. And then um, all Redskins cornerbacks not named Josh Norman just being very mediocre, which is a season-long theme. After the game, DJ Swearinger had some very pointed comments about the defensive play calls in the fourth quarter, and he really made no bones about heavily criticizing Minuski's use of man coverage and his avoidance of blitzes against Blaine Gabbert. Here are my thoughts on this. Swearinger was probably right. They, br- they should have thrown more at Gabbert to make him uncomfortable because the standard four-man rush wasn't getting to him enough at that point in the game. But you know what else? DJ Swearinger needs to shut up. His game individually fell off a cliff somewhere in the middle point of the season. And his unit, the defensive secondary, has been closer to a problem than a solution over these last six games where the team is 1-5. and five. Certainly, I like the idea of a team leader... Um, being vocal and holding the team accountable. And I'm not totally against any and all public remarks, holding teammates or maybe sometimes even coaches responsible for their actions. But DJ has done it too many times, especially now these criticisms of the coaching staff. In my opinion, these these are kind of like um, the number of times a player can get away with second-guessing his coordinator to the media is a little bit like... Um, how head coaches get to use challenge flags. You only get two and a half. If you get them both right, then you get a third. But even then, if they're all right, you do eventually run out. There's a limit to how many times it's okay for you to criticize your boss, even if you're right every time. At some point, your public criticisms are part of the problem. So I know that a lot of Redskins fans are like super huge supporters of DJ and his quest for accountability. And they love that he is speaking truth to power. But I am now annoyed by it and no longer distracted from it by his stellar play because his play is no longer stellar. I think it's clear at this point that Greg Minuski and DJ Swearinger cannot coexist on the Redskins. There's no way that can be allowed to happen or expected to happen in 2019. One or both has got to go or the situation will not work. I've been assuming for a while that Minuski will go, and I still do think that, but I got a feeling Swearinger's act is starting to wear a little bit thin in that locker room and probably in the front office too. I don't know why Minuski didn't bring more pressure against Gabbert. I think he should have. Maybe it would have been the difference. Maybe not. I definitely do want Minuski gone. There's been a serious disconnect between him and his defenders for more than a month. Maybe it started well before that. So he needs to go, but Swearinger's attitude is not conducive to winning either. Josh Doxson, at this point, this is a pretty interesting case. I mean, there was such a long period in his in the first couple of years, two and a half years of his career, where he was like a hot topic every week, whether it was due to injury or making a flash play or disappearing. I mean, everything about him from availability to production has been totally erratic. But at this point, I think we know what Josh Doxson is. In my opinion, he's not a bust, but he's he has not lived up to, and he almost certainly never will live up to that first round draft status. I think it's going to be pretty borderline and a tough decision as to whether the Redskins should exercise his fifth-year option. I think it's going to be for like $10 million or something. And I mean, no, it, at this point, it does not look like he's going to be worth paying $10 million for a year. But the rest of the Redskins receiving core going forward is just sorry. Richardson has speed, and I do think he's actually tough. 
but he is so fragile, I don't ever think you're going to get more than 10 games out of that guy. He hasn't proven he can do it, and if anything, he's proven that he won't do it. He's just not built to take the punishment. And at this point, he's had so many serious injuries, it would be a miracle if he doesn't sustain another one. Crowder is a good player, but not a great player, and will they even re-sign, uh, re-sign him? Um, Trey Quinn has potential, and he'll be cheap. They may decide to keep him as the slot guy going forward, but he's unproven, and he's now shown a tendency already to get hurt too. The other guys on this roster are, at this point, either has-beens, nobodies, or lottery tickets like Cam Sims. Anyway, Doxon is just never going to blossom into a, a number one receiver. And it's a big need for this team, no matter who ends up being the quarterback. And I think receiver will be firmly in the discussion for their first round pick next year. They could really, really use a receiver who is both big and fast. The other positions of tremendous need that the Redskins will certainly be targeting in the draft and in free agency include left guard, pass catching tight end, inside linebacker, unless Reuben Foster somehow evolves into a Boy Scout, speed edge rusher, both boundary and slot corner, and also free safety. So that's a lot of holes. I think you move on from HaHa Clinton Dix. You might have to bail on Monte Nicholson, depending on his off-field stuff. Josh Norman is a tough call, but you might need his cap space. Zach Brown and Mason Foster are probably both gone. Personally, I lean towards re-signing Preston Smith, even though he disappears for stretches or maybe franchise tagging him, but there's a chance his price tag gets too high otherwise, and you might lose him. And Kerrigan, even though he's still putting up great sack numbers, starting to approach the back half of his career, well, he's already in the back half. Jordan Reed and Vernon Davis are probably both very near the end of the line due to injuries and age, and the team just has absolutely nothing at guard right now aside from Sheriff, who is, of course, outstanding. They have all those things to worry about, and they may have to draft a quarterback pretty high if they're paying Alex Smith $20-plus million a year to rehab. So this will be a tremendously important offseason for the Redskins in terms of building the roster. I think there will be a great deal of turnover, and the idea that Bruce Allen may still be presiding over so many important changes is just frankly nauseating. I mentioned this earlier, but doesn't it feel like we've been living through the end, the actual end point? of this season for like two months. First, Alex Smith suffers this horrific injury, and we are forced to acknowledge that usually losing your quarterback means it's over. Of course, the Eagles proved last year that that's not literally true, but even those who had some confidence in Colt McCoy surely felt, you know, some kind of initial death at that point. Then after we had psyched ourselves back up for the idea that Colt might be able to keep the engine running, he breaks his leg. And then of course, now the season is really over. Well, then Mark Sanchez has a really nice introductory press conference, and we start to think maybe they can make some magic happen, but oh wait, they get slaughtered by the Giants, and now the season is really over, and maybe all the coaches are getting fired tomorrow. Oh, but wait, wait, everyone else in the NFC sucks, so the Redskins are actually still alive, thanks to just barely beating a disastrous Jacksonville team. And Josh Johnson's got some moxie to him, so maybe they really have a chance here to run the table. Oop, no, no, sorry. That's not going to happen either. I mean, geez, the season has already ended four times and it's not even over. Personally, I still feel that Jay Gruden is not a smart or detailed enough coach to eventually win a Super Bowl, especially to win one in spite of ownership by Daniel Snyder. But I also don't think he's a disaster and he did deserve some credit for the Redskins winning at the Jaguars last week. And even though they didn't win today, I think he had the team pretty darn well prepared and ready to play. I'd like to see a new coach as soon as next year or next month. But if that doesn't happen, 
I'm not going to blast the franchise for it. What I will absolutely blast the Washington Redskins for and Dan Snyder for is if Bruce Allen is retained as president through any point after the draft in May at the absolute latest. And if Snyder had any balls, it would be New Year's Eve. Bruce Allen's stubbornness and arrogance and obliviousness to real football talent and the evolution of the sport and his complete detachedness from the fan base make him a cancer to the organization that must be excised. So I'm sorry if the topic starts to grate on you, but I'm not going to stop talking about this until it is no longer an issue. Thank you, as always, for listening to Season 4, Episode 26 of Burgundy Blogcast. If you like Burgundy Blogcast and you're a regular listener, but you are just randomly streaming these things only if and when you catch a link that I tweet out, I cannot recommend strongly enough figuring out how to actually use and subscribe to podcasts on the Apple Podcasts app or Google Play or Overcast or Stitcher or whatever one you want, depending on what phone or mobile device you use. Get a podcast app. Trust me on this. you got to do it. It's going to change your life. Get a podcast app. Search for Burgundy Blogcast and just hit subscribe. That's all you got to do. It's free. It's super easy and completely free. I'm not kidding. It's actually free. When you do this, every single time I push out a podcast, even if you don't see the link that I tweet, the episode will magically go directly to your queue or inbox or whatever, depending on the app, of unopened, unlistened to episodes. And guess what? You can do this for a lot of other podcasts, too. There are a lot of other good Redskins podcasts. My favorites are the, f- the podcast versions of several DC sports radio shows, including Steve Zabin, Al Galdi, B. Mitch, and Doc Walker. Then I listen to the independent podcasts for Chris Cooley, which is technically a Redskins team thing. Also, the Kevin Sheehan podcast. The Redskins Talk podcast by J.P. Finley and the uh, NBC Sports Washington guys. Check out the Mr. Irrelevant podcast, um, the Redskins Hangover podcast, and last but not least, the Hogs Haven podcast, which goes by The Audible. All of these podcasts are really good, and some of them are better than mine. So get a podcast app, search for them, find them, and subscribe, and figure out which ones you like. Also, I'm going to put in another request here. If you happen to use the Apple Podcasts app, which many people still call iTunes, please, please leave me a review if you like the blogcast. Just give me a rating and leave me a short review. First of all, your feedback helps me make the show better. And also, getting more reviews helps me to get noticed by more prospective listeners, which makes the whole thing more impactful and the discussion that much richer, especially on Twitter after the fact. I certainly intend to do another episode of the blogcast after the uh, Eagles game to finish the season. And then hopefully every week or two through the offseason, especially as needed for major events like firings, hopefully, and of course, free agency and the draft. Thanks again and catch you next week.